Would you pray with me? Father, we come today and um, we, pray for, we, we pray for your guidance. We pray that the Spirit would point us to Jesus, that we might glorify God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three in one. God, we need you. We confess that. We have nothing good in ourselves, but all of our goodness, it comes from you, Lord. So we pray and we come expecting you to work in our lives to make us different. And God, help us to see that the chains around us, the chains that seem to constrain us as people, are not on the gospel. Let us see how much we need that. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have a Bible, please turn to Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. We've been in the series in the book of Philippians. If you don't have a Bible, in a minute we'll read, and it'll be on the screen for us. But um, have you ever been in traffic? That's probably a dumb question. If you've ever driven through Atlanta or Nashville, you've been in traffic. You ever wondered, have you ever been in traffic, and there seems to be like no discernible reason why the traffic is there? Does that not make you more angry than anything else? Like, why is it? It's clear? It's not raining? Why are we stopped? And then before you know it, you see it after, let's say before you know it, after 30 minutes of almost having an aneurysm, you see what's in front. And you're like, oh yeah, that's why it's happening. See, I want you to know something. Our life is kind of like that. We have a street level view. And God's perspective is a bird's eye view, if you would. Street level views look a lot like this. I want to show that first picture up there, if you would. Let's see. Street level view. Is it on there? Maybe. Yeah. Street level view looks like that. It's a little bit blurry. Can't really see how things fit together. And life is like that. And our perspective matters in a lot of those ways. For example, have you ever been through a day and you get home and you drop your stuff and then you're just like telling the person how bad your day was? You know, your wife or husband or whoever, and you're just like listing off the, like you've, you've got a list, okay? Let me tell you how it started. The Keurig was broken. I woke up late. Then traffic, and there was no reason for the traffic, okay? Why? And then you just list all these different things, and then at the end of it, the person's never as worked up about it as you are, the person you're telling. You know that, right? Even if they're just really good at listening to you, never that worked up. But they might say, well, what good happened in your day? And you're like, I want to cut you. Nothing good happened in my day. I want you to see this. Paul, in this passage, he's asking us to move from a street-level view, where things are kind of blurry and you don't know how they fit, to a bird's-eye view, which is this next picture, which sees the cross of Christ at the center of all of our life if we're following him. And I am asking you, and Paul here in this passage is asking this church in Philippi, which is, he wrote this to this letter. He's in prison in Rome. He's writing this to a church that he helped plant several years ago in what's now modern-day Greece. And he's writing to this church, telling them about how the good news of the gospel has advanced. And he wants them to get a divine perspective, not a street-level view of what God is doing. Because there's going to be a lot of adversity coming in. So I want you to get this. Here is where we need to go. The divine perspective we need to get is this, that the gospel is unchained or unhindered. The gospel is unchained. That means it can't be stopped by adversity, government, envy, rivalry, or any other scheme. The gospel cannot be stopped. 
If you would, I want to prove that to you. Okay, that sounds all good. Oh, good. Look at that. He made words go together. Sentences, commas, conjunctions. Fantastic. But if it doesn't come from the Word of God, it doesn't mean much. So I want to show you Philippians chapter 1, verse 12 says this. Paul's writing. He says, I want you to know, brothers, brothers in the church, that what happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Verse 15, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Verse 18, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. And I want to draw your attention again to verse 12 where we're starting here at our starting point. He says, I want you to know, brothers, what has happened to me. That's a big thing. When you get home and you say, hey, let me tell you what's happened to me today. Paul is saying, I want you to know what's happened to me. And they know a little bit about what happened to him. He is arrested. And he has been in prison or in some form of captivity or jail for two years. Started in Jerusalem, ended up in Rome. Let me go a list of things that have happened to him real quick, okay? Paul, this apostle, he's carrying the gospel. And so this goes against everything we know. It, like, there's, there's, a, there's a sect of people who are, quote, unquote, in the church that tell you, if you follow Jesus, have I got a deal for you? If you will just follow him, you're going to have your best life now. And, and if you follow him, no sickness will come upon your life, only healing. And if you follow him, you're going to get wealthy. And if you follow him, nothing bad is going to come your way. And if something bad does come your way, it's your problem because you don't have enough faith in God. That, my friends, is Americanized hogwash. That's just not true. Because Paul is wanting to tell what happened to him, and it's for the gospel. All these things that have happened to him, he's following Jesus, and because he's following Jesus, here's what comes his way. A Bentley. I guess, I guess it would be like an <laughs> ancient Bentley, like a camel with spinners. I don't know. But wealth, those things would come his way. But no, he says, I want you to know, brothers, what's happened to me. And here's what's happened to him. He was in a riot in Jerusalem two years ago. He had two years imprisonment at Caesarea Philippi. Yeah, prison, okay? Prison came because he was following Jesus. How many times have you ever heard somebody on TV say that? You want to go to jail? Follow Jesus, okay? <laughs> Interesting. He appealed to Caesar, which means that his case was going bad, so he went to go to the Supreme Court, basically, okay, because he's in jail. Then he had threats on his life. That's always fun. And then he made a trip to Rome during a bad time, and he was shipwrecked, in which he was, in, if you go and find it, he was bit by a poisonous snake. Like, you're shipwrecked and then bitten by a poisonous snake. If that is not your best life now, I don't know what it is. And then they thought he was going to die, okay? He's bitten by the snake, and they were expecting him to blow up um, and then just keel over and die, but he doesn't. And they're all like, oh, we're going to listen to this dude. He gets bit by snakes and lives, and that was Jesus, all working in Paul's life. And then he was on, now he's on house arrest, and he has restricted freedom, and he's awaiting a trial before Caesar. 
And he says, I just want you to know what happened to me. And you would think, I just want you to know what happened to me so you could feel bad for me. Because that's really what we do when we come home, right? We just want somebody to be like, oh, man, you did have a bad day. Here's a cookie. Okay? <laughs> you did have it. <laughs> Poor you. Just go take a shower. Don't have to do anything. Okay? Don't have to wash the dishes. No, 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 no. Paul's not where Paul goes. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. To advance the gospel. So he, he says this. All of these things that have come my way have not hindered the gospel, but have served to advance it. Now, I want to just make sure we know what we're talking about, because you could talk about gospel in a whole bunch of different ways, and many of you do, but I, want, I, can't, I can't assume that we all are on the same page when we say gospel, because some of you, when you think gospel, you might think southern gospel, Okay? You might think the Gaither vocal band. Or if you're thinking gospel music, you might be thinking like some, some high praise, you know, some, some, some black gospel sound, okay? You might think that. Or you might think of you when you're trying to tell somebody you're not lying, you say, that's the gospel truth, okay? And then you might say it that way. But the gospel is really means good news, and it is related. And Paul's used this term a bunch because it's all about the gospel for Paul. Because Paul, his life is at the center of it is the cross of Jesus, and here is what the gospel is, and I, I can't assume that you've heard it and you know it, and it's good to hear it every day, every minute of the day, really, to just have it on your mind. And it's this, that, that you are more sinful than you could ever imagine, but you are far more loved than you could ever dream of, because here's the thing. Our sin leads us to spiritual death, but God saw that, and in his plan, before the foundation of the earth, declared and decided to send Jesus Christ who Jesus, being fully God and being fully man, came to earth. And the Bible says, especially in this book of Philippians, that he emptied himself of all, of all but deity, and he came. And he lived a sinless life, which we can't, couldn't, wouldn't. And he did it. He lived a sinless life. And then he died a criminal's death because of death on a cross. Now, we've, we've, we've cleaned it and washed it up, but it was the, the most gruesome way of execution ever. And he died a criminal's death. And in so doing, because he was the perfect one of God, he was God and man, he paid the price for sin once and for all. And in doing so, the veil in the temple was torn, and he was killed and then laid in, the, laid in a tomb. It was borrowed because three days later, he rose again. And in rising again, he showed that God accepted the payment for sin and that he has power and victory over death, and all who believe in him might know victory over death, eternal life, and a new way to follow. And then he ascended, and he's coming again, and that is the good news. And that is what Paul is in prison for. And that right there is he's saying, listen, my imprisonment has really served as to advance the gospel. can't Keep it chained up. Now, you may have heard in the news recently about the Me Too movement. Have you ever heard about that, about sexual harassment and those things like that? Well, there's a, a sister, movement, sister movement to that one called Church Two. And there have been, in recent years and recent months, actually, some allegations made and some that were actually true about pastors and church leaders had come to fruition that they had been involved in sexual harassment and inappropriate behavior. And it seems sometimes, 
and rightfully so, they should, they should step down and seek restoration and, and seek to make amends for the things they've done. Those are wrong. But sometimes it seems like the church has a black eye it can't get over. And then sometimes you think about the world in which we live. And whether the left or the right is in power in the presidency, there are things that are anti-gospel going on all around. And the, the, our, our disposition when we see on the news, whichever one you watch, CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, super right-wing propaganda.org, super left-wing crazy.nut, whichever one you're on, it seems like the world's coming to an end and it's everybody else's fault. And you see this in the church, you see this in the world, and you're thinking, you get this perspective like, it's all going to end, it's, it's, it's the apocalypse now, there's no hope, and you get real worked up, and so when you talk to somebody in the, li- in the line of the checkout, you're talking about, hey, did you hear about what happened, you hear what they're signing, you hear the bill, you hear about this, you hear about that, and you are, and we've become as a culture obsessed with what's going wrong, and I'm going to venture to say that we also think that the gospel has had its heyday and that no change is possible. But Paul is saying, I want you to know, my shipwreck, my imprisonment, right now, it has served for the advance of the gospel. Paul says, I'm in chains, and I want you to know, because you partner with me, Philippian Church. Remember, they sent him money. They sent him people. They're praying for him. They have sent him out to make the gospel known all throughout the world, and he wants them to know that what is happening here, my imprisonment, and what looks like to every eye from the outside, that I have, I have been a joke, and now I am chained, that the gospel of Jesus is unhindered. It is unchained, and it will never cease to be, and it will be victorious. Nothing can stop it. Put him in jail. What happens? Look in verse 13. I want you to know this served as the advance of the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And I want you to know something. This idea of advancement of the gospel that we see in verse 12 really means kind of has, has the connotation to the word of trailblazing going where no man has before. And so here's the thing. Paul is saying that his imprisonment and his trouble and adversity has led him to a place that he would not have otherwise gone. And that is this place in verse 13 in which he talks about, so that he has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. When he says imperial guard, do you know who he's talking about? There was a cohort of about six to nine companies that were the personal bodyguards of Caesar. Now, I want you to know something. Caesar basically ruled the known world at this time. He had more power than our president and more power than probably, he had the whole world was underneath his rule. And people even worshiped him as God. That was, Caesar worship was a part of this time. And so, here's the thing. He had these guards that were protecting him all the time in Rome. How would Paul have ever gotten access? Do me a favor. Try to go to the White House, unannounced. Let's go. Let's try. You can't. You have to, to go to the White House now, it's a three to six month process, easy. You have to call your congressman or senator. They have to set it up. You have to go through extensive background checks before you can enter in. And then when you do, they treat you like, have you ever been in a store where they follow you the whole time? Okay, like, we're going to steal something? 
you better put that down. I'm going to cut you, okay? Snickers, yeah, yeah, buy it, son, or get out, okay? Have you ever been there? Went to a, it went to like, do you, do you ever notice, if you ever been to Gatlinburg, that like they're obsessed with Christmas? Have you ever noticed that, pitching for it in Gatlinburg? Like the, every, every other store is like a Christmas store. I don't get it. But okay, I mean, middle of summer, like, you guys want to go to the Christmas store? Of course, middle of summer, July. It's never too early to prepare. And you're like, have a holly jolly. Okay, we went, every one of those people, they think you are a kleptomaniac when you walk into any store in Gatlinburg. And they follow you. They're like, they're like underneath you. You turn around. Like, hey, okay. They got the big signs like, security cameras are everywhere. That, you can't get into some of these, but that's the thing. Paul would never have had the opportunity to get to the innermost, the, the most powerful person in the known world, Caesar, and his guard. He would never have gotten there, but for his imprisonment and his trials. Do you get this? Do you see this? The gospel is unchained, even prison, and all these people shouting to stop Paul's good news about Jesus. It can't be stopped. Because what it did was it blazed a new trail. He says, I want you to know this. That my imprisonment has actually has been a good thing. It's advanced. It's made a new trail. So now I can talk to people who I never talked to before. This imperial guard in verse 13. So that it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And so what he's saying here is that I want you to know because of my imprisonment, Jesus has used that. And he has, he has actually ordained it. I go to prison so I can preach to people that I would never be able to preach for preach to and the gospel spreading and the whole guard knows about the gospel and they know this that my imprisonment is for Christ my deepest darkest adversity and trials is there for Jesus a guy by the name of Rick Warren I don't know if you heard of him he's pastor Saddleback Church it's one of the biggest churches in the entire country he reaches a lot of people um, a couple years back his son committed suicide and uh, it was a terrible tragedy. Um, in fact, not only that, being a big personality and somebody who had, has social media accounts, he was trolled by all sorts of people. I mean, what, what I mean by trolled is people made fun of him and said, hey, I thought you followed Jesus. But your son get, get lost in despair. Even Christians talked, talked poorly about him in that time. It was a sad situation. And in talking about that, Rick said something pretty profound, which I think is only something that you can see in the Gospels and see in a Gospel life. He said that oftentimes God ministers, uses you to minister to other people out of your greatest wound and hurt. And you would not have that ability to come and put your arm around someone and say, I've been there. Let me show you what Jesus did for me. Had you not had to go through that. I just want you to see it. The gospel is unchained. Prison can't stop it. Oh, you're going to put me in prison? Well, let you're going to chain me to a guard? Let me tell you about that. And now these people know that he is there for Christ. The reason Paul's in prison is not because he committed a crime. It's because he keeps preaching Christ. And you know what? He could recant. He could say no. He could leave the prison by just saying, I denounce Christ. But he won't because he knows that his suffering and adversity is for the advancement of the gospel. So I want you to see this. The gospel is of such a high, valuable thing. 
And it's so powerful that God is so powerful in this good news about Jesus that it can't be stopped. It goes forward. And our adversities takes it to places where it would not go otherwise. The gospel is unchained and unhindered. It can't be stopped by adversity or government or envy or rivalry. And so what it's done is here, the unhindered gospel, the unchained gospel, the gospel that can't be stopped by circumstances has led him to a place where he never thought he'd get. Now he is in the inner circle of Caesar, and he would never get there, just like you can't get to the White House. And you couldn't be influential in the White House unless you had some kind of congressional hearing or whatever. Now he is in this place. And then finally, I want you to see this in verse 14. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak without fear. So first off, I get to preach to people because of my imprisonment. I get to preach to people who I never get to preach for ever before this imperial guard. Secondly, I want you to know, my imprisonment has actually emboldened people. Interesting. If you found out someone went to jail for something, you would probably not want to do it, right? I, I, I wouldn't. How many of you were like thinking like, yeah, jail would be awesome. You guys want to go to jail with me? Okay. When you're planning your spring break, we're right here. Like, you're planning spring break. Hey, guess what? We're good kids. We're going to a prison. Let's have a good time. No, you wouldn't do that at all. But see, here's what happens with people who have a gospel-centered view of things, which means they think about that, that Christ him coming, him dying, him being raised is our only hope and all of our faith in him. We have this cross-centered life now that everything about us now is pointed in. Like our jobs are about Jesus ultimately. Yes, money, but even our money is about Jesus, okay? Our whole life is about Jesus. He's at the center, the cross here. That he, When we're looking at that, and that is our life, that we, when we see somebody who ha- acts out in faith like Paul is, like staying in prison, staying a gospel-centered person, staying a person who's advancing the gospel, when they look at that, when we have that idea, when we look at that, we get inspired. Now, some of you, if you're not a believer in Jesus, you're like, that's not inspiring me. That is absolute craziness. That's how you see it. In fact, the message of the gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, Paul would say, it's the power of God unto salvation. So you're either going to see this as foolish, like, okay, this dude preaching Jesus went to jail. If I don't preach Jesus, I won't go to jail. Not, no part of it. But those of us who have this idea that Christ is our utmost, our uttermost, our center of our life, when we see that, we see acts of faith in the, in the face of overwhelming odds and adversity. You know what we were, we're like? We're pumped. It's like we just watched Remember the Titans. Have you ever watched Remember the Titans? When Denzel gives his speeches, you want to run through a wall. You're ready to go play football. You have no place to play football because you're an adult, okay, and you're not in the NFL. But you want to hit someone, but you know you go to jail if you do it, okay? Never done that? You're just like, you get to miss the eyes, and you're like, yeah, let's do this, okay? Let's conquer this. When a believer sees another believer who finds Jesus is valuable, here's what it does. It turns up the amp in our heart. It makes us live louder. That's why sometimes we need to read about other believers who have been through things before, keep their biographies in front of us so that we can say, oh my gosh, look what they did. Look, 
And it, it, it calls us on. It spurs us on. So that's what Paul said. He said, my imprisonment, which they thought was bad, Jesus is using for the advancement of the gospel that people might know me, that it's the most important thing, that, that Christ crucified, Christ risen, Christ ascended, Christ reigning, Christ coming. It's all, that is the biggest message. It can't be stopped by anything. That's the most important thing. I will run to that. And God, he, nothing can stop the gospel. We have confidence. We just preach it, and we live it, and we love Jesus, and he does the work. And what's happened is he's gotten to places, a trail has been blazed. Philippian church, Paul says, keep, it's okay to keep supporting me because the gospel not, is not chained. I'm enchained, but it is advancing to other people, and it's making people bold. Now, I want you to note this. The people he's talking about are in the, who are being more emboldened because of his imprisonment in verse 14 are the church people in Rome. And a lot of times we think this way, that the only people who are supposed to proclaim Jesus are people who have Rev at the front of their name or MDiv at the end of their name or preacher, okay, or whatever you want to say. That's the person they're supposed to proclaim Jesus. And I've even had this before happen to me where people come and say, hey, listen, I'm going to bring my friend. You need to tell him about Jesus. I said, fantastic. I'd love to, but after you tell him about Jesus. Because here's the thing. We are all called to follow Jesus. It's not just a special calling for some. If you're in Jesus, you're supposed to follow him. And you're supposed to be a minister for him. And you have been given a gift of the Holy Spirit to follow him. And you are now his witness. And you are to follow him too, just like me. And so your job, and this was it's emboldened these people to speak Jesus to people. So his imprisonment, which was meant to be bad, is now for good. You can't contain the gospel, which should give us confidence. And a lot of times we lack it. I know we lack self-confidence. We all do. We have to get up in the mirror, and some days you're thinking, all right, I like this. And some days you're thinking, oh, <sighs> It's looking rough there. Maybe it's only you. No, apparently everybody else has a really good self-image, okay? You're like, I don't ever do that. You ever, you ever do that before? You're like, I'm looking good today, and then two days later, you're like, I look like I got hit with an ugly hammer, okay? I mean, I, not even a stick. They bypass and put iron on it so you can hit somebody in the face with it. That, that situation here, this preaching Christ, being confident in the gospel, because Paul would say the most and most of the brothers have become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. They see Paul, they said, hey, look, the worst that could happen to me is what Paul's happened. I see his faith, I'm inspired by his faith, and now I'm confident in the gospel. And so here's what I want you to see. We don't have to be confident in ourselves. We don't preach ourselves. We have to be confident in Christ. Well, I mess up and I sin. <laughs> yup, you sure do, that's why you need Jesus. But they're not gonna listen to me. Yeah, they will. You know why? Because we're going to model repentance and ask people for forgiveness and own up to our things we've done wrong. You know why? Because when we confess our sins, he's faithful and just for our sins. So when we do something wrong to somebody, you know what we don't have to do anymore? Well, and you know you've done this, because I have too, where you say, I know I did wrong, but you, what is that? Let me shift the blame. We don't have to do that, and that changes it because we don't have to try to be right with God anymore because we're right with God through the cross of Jesus. That's why the gospel, it can't be stopped. It's so powerful. It's so huge. It's so great. It's so good. What Jesus has done and us receiving it by faith, it changes so much. And so we can be confident in the gospel. We can be confident in it. 
which means we just keep preaching it and we wait for fruit and we don't know if it's going to come. We just, we pray. You know, when I'm talking about fruit, I'm not saying, oh, look at apple. No, I'm talking about spiritual things happening. And I want you just to see this this morning. We are going to get to baptize some kids. And you know how this happened. We didn't do a high pressure sale on them. We didn't go, what, what can we do to put you in Jesus today? What can we do? You need a contract? You need a, you know, we'll give you a low APR. Okay, no. We didn't, we didn't do this one. We're like, you want to go to hell? Okay, if you don't want to go to hell, come over here. If you do want to go to hell, go over here. Who's going to go to hell? No one. So all the kids go over here. Oh, God, they don't want to go to hell. That's the gospel. That's not the gospel. That's just common sense. No one wants to go to hell. But not wanting to go to hell does not mean you trusted Jesus. No, you know what we did through the children's ministry on up? We just started preaching Jesus. And I'm just going to be awesome. To, when I get to tell these kids these testimonies, I'm going to go ahead and give you a little bit of it. Because here's what the cool thing. Every one of them, they've come before previously and said, I want to be baptized. And I said, why? And they were all like, I don't know. And then about a, then a then disciple now, and God has been working on them for a year and a half. And every one of them, this is their story. It was all of a sudden I said, why do you want to be baptized? And they said, because Jesus is the God man. He died on the cross. He, in dying on the cross, he took sin and shame. He rose again on the third day, so that God accepted the sacrifice. He's risen, he's reigning, he's coming. And I believe baptism is a symbol of that. And every one of them said it, not exactly like that, but basically like that. And I was like, mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, indeed. You know why that happened? The gospel's unhindered. But they got smartphones. And sin is so prevalent in the world, and video games, and gun control, or lack thereof, the gospel, people, all rest is noise, noise, static, gospel's true, it rings true, it bears fruit, you can't stop it, you can't contain it, you can just explain it, and not even really, because it is so powerful, Christ crucified, Christ risen, Christ reigning, Christ coming, it can't be stopped. Confidence in the gospel today, and I believe this, there are many of you here who need to turn from your sins and trust Christ and follow him. And you know what? You don't have to relocate your body to do that. You just call upon the name of the Lord in prayer. You turn from your sins. You trust Christ. You follow him. And then to show the world and proclaim it, you'd be baptized. That's it. Now, it costs you your whole life, but it's free. It's a free gift. You didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. But it's your whole life. And I call you to it because there is nothing better. You can't stop the gospel. In fact, not even poor motives and envy and jealousy and rivalries can stop it. In verse 15, Paul says this, there's been good things advanced the gospel. I want you to know, Philippian church, that there have been hardships besides all the prison and stuff, okay? There's been other things. In verse 15, he says this, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry but others from goodwill. So here's just two things. There are some that preach Christ out of envy and rivalry. Envy and rivalry directed at Paul, okay, and his apostleship, which is a special calling from God to preach the gospel or the firsthand witness. Some, they preach Christ out of envy and rivalry against Paul, but some do it from goodwill. 
In verse 16, it talks about those who do it from goodwill. Verse 16, it says, the latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. And so some people are encouraged and emboldened by, by Paul's sacrifice and his imprisonment in Christ. And so they do this out of love, and, and love for Paul and love for the gospel. They preach Christ. However, verse 17 says this, the former, those who preach, from, preach Christ from envy and, and rivalry, the former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. And so there's these opponents, and there has been a lot of ink spilled on who Paul is writing about, those who preach Christ out of rivalry. And I want to venture, venture this, that, that this is a lot like the Corinthian church, and, and saying that there are people there who, Paul did not plant the church in Rome, and it's pretty big, and it consists of Jewish and, and um, Gentile Christians. And the Jews had to be, they, they were moved out of Rome and they came back and there's a lot of tension and disunity in that church. And they have different teachers. And so what has naturally happened is kind of a gravitation. Like some people are like, I like this teacher better. And some are like, I like this teacher better. And so there is this tension going on there. And so some people do not recognize Paul and his apostleship and want to preach Christ so that people will be drawn away from Paul and think that they're a better preacher and teacher. And Paul says, I don't really care, in verse 18, whether you preach it from good motives or bad motives. He says this, the most important thing is this. Now, God will judge those motives. That's not what he's saying. But he says, what then, in verse 18? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. See, here's the thing. Paul says the gospel's unhindered. You can't stop it. Local congregations may come and go. Unity, disunity may come and go. But the gospel will not be stopped. You can be confident then that when we share the gospel, it brings fruit. And there's many here today that you, you need to repent and believe in the gospel. And there's many here today that you need to become more confident in the gospel and speak the gospel to other people. Because Paul, at the, at the end of the day, at the bottom line, he says this, bottom line is that Christ is proclaimed. That's it. What's your life about? I never really thought about that. What's your life about? About you? About your family? Is it about career? What's it about? I'm going to suggest to you that ultimately if your life is not about Christ, you might be fulfilled for a while, and you might even die happy, quote unquote, but you have missed the point of you living and there will be a day where you will have to pay for that. And I will also say this to you, that those of us who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good through the gospel of Jesus, that we have, we have known forgiveness of sins, the reality of being right with God through justification in Jesus, that we are seen having give, be given an alien righteousness. A, a, we're seen as Jesus by God the Father. We don't have to prove ourselves anymore. And now we have eternal life, that this life now is only a, a little bit compared to the eternity we will have with God. And now we have been changed. If any of us can tell you, we can testify to you, many of us could testify to you this morning that Christ is enough. Christ is all. Christ is enough. That the gospel advances, that the gospel is good, that it, we can be confident in it and, and its power to save. We can be confident in its worth then we would come to the place where the gospel is enough and that is what our life is about. So it changes everything. It changes everything. So your career now, 
If it's all about Christ being proclaimed and rejoicing in that, then your career is not a means just to make money. I know you got to have that paper. But that, that's not what it's all about. Your family is not just about, I got the family goals, okay? No, it's about Christ. He's proclaimed in your family. He's proclaimed in your school. He's proclaimed in your church. He's proclaimed everywhere. He, that message is what it's about. That's what life is here. That's why you exist. That's what you're here for. That is the message. And Paul says, I don't care if you do it from rivalry or from a good heart. God will judge the heart. But the fact of the matter is he rejoices that the gospel is advancing and it is proclaimed. And so I call us to do this, church. I call us to look at every adversity with confidence, knowing that, God, that, that, that whatever's going to happen, the gospel's going to go forth, and to make it our goal, aim of our life and of our church life, that we would proclaim Christ. Now, when I'm talking to these students, in fact, if you students would kind of come up and get ready, okay? So I need you all up here, baptism folks. As we're talking about, I'm really close to the speaker, so you're getting double up. So as we're talking about this, We'll get you in here in a minute. Yeah, students, come up and stand with me. Every one of these, every one of these, these students, I've talked to them about the gospel and about baptism. Does, ba- does, does baptism save you? No. This is a symbol. And it's a symbol of what Christ has done, death, burial, and resurrection gospel. Also, it's a proclamation. I want you to know this. They are proclaiming the gospel, when they do this, Christ buried, Christ crucified, buried, risen, reigning. They say, now I am with one with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. I follow him. This is a symbolic thing that Christ is being proclaimed. And I want to invite them to come up here and join us in this symbol. And so first off, I'm going to, uh, I got a list here in order. And this is the order they came and talked to me. It's not because all of them are equally awesome, Okay. This is Katie Jo. Come up, Katie Jo. Katie Jo, um, is, uh, she, she was one of those ones you came about a year ago, and we talked at Vacation Bible School about the gospel and, and about what baptism is. And she was a little unclear, so we waited. And we believed the gospel. We're confident in it, that God would, that it would take root. And so she came to me after Disciple Now the other day, and uh, she basically looked at me and she said, let me just tell you the gospel. And she did. And she said, let me also tell you another thing about baptism, okay? I know what it means. It doesn't save me. It's a symbol. I was like, dang. That's literally what I said. And so today, Katie, is it your testimony and your proclamation that you want to trust Christ and want to tell everybody that today? All right. So she's trusted Christ. She wants to tell that to you today. Katie, we're going to get you in this cold water and baptize you, okay? Yep, it's cold. (laughs) Just sit down on that. Sit, uh, feet that way. We'll do this quick. <laughs> so, art and the science. Katie Joe, I baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. In order, in order of who showed up and who asked about it, Braden, come on up. This is Braden Sadler. The story is almost exactly the same just a week later. We're sitting on that back 
back uh, area back there after youth. And by the way, I got this man right here up here. This is Mitch White helping us. You know, it is here for Mitch. Mitch has, Mitch and, and so many people, the Lockoviches, Amy McAvoy have poured so much into the youth. Those of you who provided food, Christy Johnson, they're pouring into their, these kids and sometimes they don't listen to us, but then the gospel advances. And so I want you to know that is just super cool. So Braden, we're sitting back there and he was just like, yeah, the gospel, he told it to me. And then he said, I want to get baptized. And I said, Braden, does baptism save you? He's like, looked at me like, I got five heads. Of course not. It's a symbol of what Christ has done. And so this morning... I get to baptize you. Braden, is it your testimony that you have trusted Jesus and that you want to be baptized to proclaim him in front of all these people? Yes. yes. Okay, we got a yes, sir. There. All right, perfect. Come on in. It's cold. Have a seat. Yeah. Braden, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Last, but certainly not least, we have Brianna Guay, okay? And I had to work on saying your last name, but I didn't want to call you Gooey, okay? So, Brianna, basically the same thing, but last week we finally got to talk. And uh, she actually recited, we had gone through the Apostles' Creed, which if you don't know what it is, it's, basic, it's a basic statement of Christian belief. And we had gone through that the, the time previous um, in youth, um, and she basically, I said, well, what is what is the gospel? And she recited the Apostles' Creed to me. I was like, okay, all right. I don't know if I could have recited it that well. And then, and then she talks about, she knows this doesn't save her. This is a sign of what Jesus has done, the proclaimed gospel is done. So, Brianna, is it, is it your testimony that you have trusted Christ and you want to follow and proclaim him today in front of all these folks? All right. Well, come on in. The water's cold. Brianna, I baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. While I try to dry off and stuff, uh, let's pray, and I have a video for you. Father, you're good. <laughs> it's so, it never gets old to see people believe the gospel. And there's some in this room today, God, that they don't know you. And I pray that they would turn from their sins, trust you, and follow you the rest of their life. God, would you do the work? The gospel's unhindered. It works no matter what adversity comes our way, and it emboldens us when we see others going forth in faith, God. This emboldens us in our faith because these, these kids aren't even 13 yet, and they're proclaiming Jesus. Oh, God, call us to new ways to follow in you because the gospel's worth it, and that whatever, the main thing, the bottom line, is that Christ is proclaimed because he's worthy. He's worthy. You're worthy, God. And uh, we thank you for what you've done and what you will do through your spirit, through the gospel. We want the kingdom to advance. In Jesus' name, amen. If you want to check this out. I'll be inside in a minute. I'm going to say hey to Joe. Hey, Joe. Hey, Mike. Flower beds are looking good, neighbor. Yep. You guys should get back from church? Ah, yeah, yeah. I just been at the church house. I wonder why he never invites me to church. I mean, I'd go if he asked me to go, but this is the way it is. I'm out in my front yard when he comes home from church. It's always so awkward. It's so awkward, and I'm so hungry. Ugh. 
I think my wife made goulash. I love goulash. Oh, maybe Joe would like some goulash for lunch. Hey, Joe. Here comes the invitation to church. Yeah? You want to come over sure, for a Sure, I'd goulash? love to go to church with you. What'd you just say? What'd you just say? No, what... No, what'd you say? What'd no, you what say? Did you say? You said something about God. 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 Goo. 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 Goulash. 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 It's a. You're having goulash at your church? No. No, at my house. You're having. You're inviting me over for goulash. Yeah. At your goulash. Yeah. Who doesn't like goulash? I like some goulash. Yeah. Sign me up. Goulash. I'll check and make sure we have enough. I see you walking away. We got these cards in the back. They've been mailed to most of the uh, city limits folks in Hartsville. This is an invite to our Easter services. Next week for, at 9 and 11 is Easter. I can't believe Easter's here already, but it is. It's on April Fool's, though, because he's like, I was dead, now I'm alive, April Fool's, okay? So <laughs> I promise you I will not use that on Easter. I'm not bringing people if he's going to tell that joke. Okay, if you would, on the way out. In fact, Nate's holding them up back there. And, Nate, would you pass them out for me at the end of service? As you walk out, I want to invite you to take some of these and hand these out as you go. Because it's statistically proven that 80% of people, give or take, will come if someone invites them. And the gospel must be proclaimed. You get a chance to do that with this invitation. We're going to invite you back, 9 and 11, uh, next week. Um, it's, it'll be an important time for us to, to worship Jesus, and it's our big Easter thing. So if we could, let's stand, and we'll be dismissed with this. Hear these words of benediction. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. You're dismissed. Go in his peace.